turn with you this morning to the book of Acts, chapter 17, and beginning in verse 22. This will be the 20th message now in our series of messages that we've been on for several weeks, and we want to speak this morning on the infinity of God, or the omnipresence of God, the infinite nature of God, and how that this is applied to your life and to mine. In the 17th chapter of Acts, and beginning in verse 22, we have the account in God's Word of Paul dealing with a group of philosophers in or on Mars Hill in the city of Athens. So follow with me as we read the text. Then Paul stood in the midst of Mars Hill and said, You men of Athens, I perceive that in all things ye are very superstitious or very religious. For as I passed by and beheld your devotions, I found an altar with this inscription, To the unknown God, whom therefore ye ignorantly worship him, declare I unto you. God who made the world and all things in it, seeing that he is the Lord of heaven and earth, dwelleth not in temples made with hands, neither is worshipped with men's hands as though he needeth anything, seeing he giveth to all life and breath and all things, and hath made of one blood all nations of men to dwell on the face of the earth, and hath determined the times before appointed and the bounds of their habitation, that they should seek the Lord if perhaps they might feel after him and find him, though he is not far from every one of us. For in him we live and move and have our being, as certain also of your poets have said, for we are also his offspring. The apostle has encountered here a group of individuals which are extremely religious. They have idols throughout the entire city of Athens, and they were very diligent and faithful in making sure that they paid due homage to all of the gods that the people had. This was truly an ecumenical religious community. And just to make sure that they would not offend someone or some god, they erected an idol to the unknown god. And it was in this atmosphere that the apostle went and he preached the gospel to them there, and he said, I perceive that you're a very religious group of people, but you're too superstitious. He says that in light of this, I'm going to declare unto you the true God who created heaven and earth and all things therein. And what the apostle is setting forth here in his sermon is our subject for today. That is that God is not a local God. He's not a little deity which is limited by a locality of time and place, but he is the infinite God which inhabits eternity, and from that inhabitation he has created all things therein. He is in rulership over all things. He is the Lord. He has before determined the bounds of man's habitation so that man can go no further than what God has determined that he shall go. And Paul says, This is the God that I declare unto you, and because that he said that this God is of this nature, then he would command them to repent and believe upon God's only begotten Son, which was given on behalf of sinners. Now, we want to deal with this subject, the infinity 
of God. Now, Pastor, what do you mean by the word infinity? I think it's best that we define this term. Infinity means that which cannot be measured, that which has no limits or bounds. Now, do we understand that? If we do not understand that, why well, we will not be able to go much further. When something is infinite, it means you can't measure it. It is beyond the capability of being measured. It cannot be confined within a jar like a, a jar may contain a quart of fruit. That's not an infinite jar. It's a finite jar. It can only contain one quart. God is not a little finite God, a little deity somewhere, but he is the infinite God which rules over all and he has no limits or bounds. And it has always been man's conception that has led him into idolatry has been that when he begins to reason that God is limited to a certain locality or to a certain time or place, and thereby you can erect an idol and worship that particular God. Now, Paul says the God that we worship is an infinite God. He is the one which has created heaven and earth and all things therein, and therefore he is the ruler over all, and there are not things within the creation which limit and bind him. Now, this is what we mean by the term the infinity of God. Now, can we establish this from the Bible? If it cannot be established in Scripture, then we need not go any further. We may not all agree on the, what the Scripture says, but I hold to this, this uh, conviction very strongly that if you want to converse with me on anything about the Bible, you better have a biblical basis for it, because I don't have any time to talk with you any longer. But if you will sit down and have a basis for your beliefs out of the Bible, although that we may not agree and dot our I's and cross our T's, I will maintain a hearty respect for you in that, in that capacity. But we must have a biblical base. So we ask ourselves a question. Is, can it be established in the Bible that God is an infinite God? Or is this just some idea that some preacher has come up with or somebody has thought up and thereby his idea may be as good as mine and so forth? Let's go to the Bible and see if the Bible itself declares that God is of this nature. Now, in what ways is God infinite? First, in respect to his very nature. That is, his wisdom, his power, his being, his holiness, his uh, understanding, his love, his grace. Is there anything within his nature that is finite? Now, I invite your attention to First Samuel chapter 2 and verse 2. You may not want to turn there, but listen carefully as we quote this verse. There is none holy as the Lord, for there is none beside thee, neither is there any rock like our God. When you want to compare the wisdom of a person and you place that individual beside the God of the Bible, there is no comparison. If you want to take a Plato and Aristotle, uh, Socrates, all of the great philosophers, which no doubt stood in some of these, in probably in that locality there where that Paul would speak there on Mars Hill, and he would in essence be saying, you have the wisdom but yet, when you compare man's wisdom with the God of the Bible which has revealed himself, there is no comparison at all. Because man's wisdom is finite. It can only go so far. 
But God, there is none beside Him. There is none as holy as the Lord. There is none that has the strength of God. So that whatever attribute God has, His wisdom, His love, His mercy, His grace, His strength, His might, there is none that can be compared with Him because He is the infinite God. Now, in what other ways is God infinite? First, in respect to time and place. We read in Isaiah chapter 57 and verse 15 in regard to time. Listen carefully. For thus saith the high and lofty one that inhabiteth eternity. Some of you boys and girls, you're reaching the stage right now in Sunday school where you begin to ask the question, well, where did God have his beginning? And how would we answer this? And now listen to what this God declares as he has spoken to us from his word. He says, the high and holy one that inhabits eternity. Eternity is that which is without beginning and without end. And the Bible begins with these words. In the beginning, God created. That before there was a beginning of matter, the universe, or before there was ever a time clock that began clicking off, God existed because he is the eternal God. He is the first cause of all things. So that everything in the universe, whether it be the little fly or whether it be the distant planets, owe their origin to this great Creator God. And He had His existence prior to anything in the creation because He is the eternal God. He's the one that lives in eternity. Now, you and I had a beginning. God did not have a beginning because He is the eternal God. And if that causes you a problem, and you want to wonder, well, where did God come from? Then you'll probably have to come up with something that made God. And then you have to ask yourself, well, where did that thing come from? And see, you'll never get back. You can go back as far as you want to, and you're going to have to come up with something that created something else. And the Bible calls that the first cause, which is God. In the beginning, God created. So God is not limited as to time. That's why he's in not a, he's not in such a hurry as you and I are. You see, uh, somebody asked a question recently, uh, Pastor, why doesn't God just end all of this sin and everything and dispel it all? And uh, I replied, Well, He has all eternity to do that. <laughs> you see, He's an eternal God, and God has a plan and a purpose which is beyond what we can are able to conceive of. And if you and I, as creatures of time, would do things our way, we'd probably do them differently than what God has. But that's because we are finite creatures. We are not as infinite wise as God is. So God has a a purpose and a time and a place, and he is not limited or bound by time. May I apply this in application to some of you here today? Maybe you have some physical affliction and you've been praying for God to remove it on Friday afternoon at 6 o'clock. Now, wait just a minute. You don't limit God's time, okay? Uh, But you still have a hope that that eternal God is able and he is willing to remove that. But don't you set a time for God's deliverance. And that same thing goes true in many realms. So that when we do this, we become guilty of imposing upon God 
uh, his infinite wisdom and his infinite mercy and bringing him down and saying, Now, God, you've got to do this at such and such a time. I've done that. Have you not done that, brother pal? That when, oh, we want to see something come to pass and we want to see some deliverance come and we begin prescribing to God when and how it ought to take place. Well, we just can't do that, beloved. He's the infinite, all-wise God, and it is our purpose in, in our existence to subscribe our wills to Him, not prescribe our wills upon Him. So as to time, God is infinite. Now as to place, is God a little local God? Is the God we're talking about here today, is He the God of Osceola, Missouri? But then over here in Bombay, India, there's another God over there. Is God that we're worshiping today some local deity? Is he limited as to place? What does the Bible say about this? Jeremiah chapter 23 and verse 23 and 24. God asked a question to Jeremiah. Now here's what he says. Listen carefully. Am I a God at hand, saith the Lord, and not a God afar? What do you ask? Am I a local God? And not a God that's far off. Listen, can any hide himself in secret places that I shall not see him, saith the Lord? Jonah thought he could. But Jonah could not escape the presence of God. Do not I fill heaven and earth, saith the Lord? Now this is a God that would reveal himself to the Apostle Paul on the road to Damascus. And some might ask the question, well, where did Paul get the authority and the boldness to go there and tell all of those leading religious leaders in the world that they were worshiping God in ignorance at? I'll tell you how. He had a revelation of God, this infinite God given him on the road there to Damascus that converted his heart, and he saw that his God was not just some local deity limited as to time and place but that this God ruled the heavens and the earth and that he authorized him to be his apostle and to send him forth to preach the message of his son. I wouldn't mind preaching if I had someone behind me like that, would you? <laughs> I wouldn't care what man could do unto me if I knew that I had been authorized from the infinite God who possesses all power in heaven and earth. Let man do what he will. He will do no more than the one who has authorized him to do so. Jesus Christ himself will not have one hair plucked from his head, or else God could have called those 10,000 angels and wiped out the whole group of them there. But he permitted it to be done in order that the gospel might be established upon the foundation of grace. So that's why that we preach to you today, as the Apostle Paul did, you may not like what we say. You may disregard our person. You may want to take us out and tire and feather us, and you may do all of that. But my friend, you will do one speck more than what the God of heaven and earth permits you to do to me. Now, that's what will give some backbone and some, you'll pardon the expression, spizzerinkdom into our Christianity when we know that we're dealing with an infinite God. And that man cannot comprehend or he cannot limit uh, our service of him. He may take our life, but yet our God shall only exalt us to greater things in the world to come. So God is not a local deity. He's not limited as to time and place. Now, in respect to his being able to be understood, 
is he tonight? How many of you here today? I'm going to ask you a question. Everybody here raise your hand if you know all there is to know about God. Hmm? You want to raise your hand? No, don't want to do that, huh? Okay. Why didn't everybody raise your hand? Some of you have been studying the Bible for years, and yet you still don't know all there is about God, is there? Isn't that, doesn't that tell us something about the God we worship, which is different than other books? You take some of the most brilliant men, cannot they sit down with a book of mathematics and master that? But my friend, you cannot take the subject of God and master him. Job asked this question, Can you or thou find out the Almighty into perfection? Job 11, verse 7. A finite man understand the infinite God to perfection? And of course the answer is no. Romans chapter 11, verse 32 and 33, the Apostle Paul says these words. Listen to him. All the depth of the riches, both of the wisdom and knowledge of God, how unsearchable are his judgments and his ways past finding out. For who hath known the mind of the Lord, or who hath been his counselor? Which one of us today can say that we took God into our school and we taught him a few things? No, who can find out the ways of the Lord? Paul says that his judgments and his ways are past finding out. So in reference to his wisdom and he being able to be understood into perfection, we will never be able to comprehend that because of the infinite nature of God. Now, if this be true, I want to make an application and deal with a question regarding the infinity of God. This question is raised ever so often, and it is this. If God is infinite, that is, he's everywhere, why is it said that heaven is his throne? Why is it said in the Bible that God dwells in the heavens? And sometimes this, if it's not properly understood, can be misleading, particularly to young people. Now listen carefully, young people, this morning. Do you know where your God is? You say, Pastor Gables, I can't see him. And I understand somewhat from reading in the Bible in my Sunday school classes that he's out there in the heavens somewhere. That is true. The heavens and heavens cannot contain him. But let me also... Be impress upon you this, that God is closer than the nearest star. That our God is not some distant deity in which that we cannot somehow get a hold of, and thereby he's not really interested in your life and my life. We talk about a personal relationship with Jesus Christ as our God. But what does it mean then, Pastor Gables, when the Bible says that in Isaiah chapter 66, verse 1, Thus saith the Lord, the heaven is my throne. Does that not say that God is in heaven upon a throne? Yes, it certainly does. But this is the reference to God's throne being in heaven. Now listen, is a description of his presence upon his throne of glory. And it is from this throne in the heavens that he exercises his sovereign rule over all of his creation. In Psalms chapter 115, verse 3, here's the significance of God's throne being in the heavens. Our God is in the heavens. 
He hath done whatsoever he hath pleased. Now, do you see the significance? It is said, our God is in the heavens. What's the meaning of that? He hath done whatsoever he hath pleased. Do you want to see all the kingdoms of this world and their pomp and their power? Do you want to see all the philosophies of democracy and communism and socialism and all of these things trying to rule and gain dominance over man as they're trying to do today? Look beyond the scene and you'll see a God ruling over all of those. He's in the heavens. And these things are not ruling him, but he is ruling over them. So he has his throne of glory in the heavens. But also, our God has a throne of grace here on earth, in which he rules in the hearts of his people. I invite your attention now to two passages of Scripture to show this in the book of Isaiah, chapter 57. Please turn there if you have your Bibles. Isaiah chapter 57 and verse 15. Now notice our point is this, that God has a throne of glory in heaven, but he's also present here upon the earth. For thus saith the high and lofty one that inhabiteth eternity, whose name is holy, I dwell in the high and holy place. Now listen with him also who is of a contrite and humble spirit to revive the heart of the humble and to revive the heart of the contrite ones. Aren't you glad for that? That you can commune with this infinite God who rules sovereignly on his throne in the heavens through an humble and a contrite heart. And that throne of grace which he has set up in the hearts of his believers enables them to commune with him upon his throne of glory in the heavens. Now look also in Isaiah chapter 62, 66 and verse 2. Isaiah chapter 66 and verse 2. For all those things hath my hand made, and all those things have been, saith the Lord, but to this man will I look. To whom will the Lord look? To whom will the Lord commune? To whom will the Lord reveal himself? Even to him that is poor and of a contrite spirit and trembleth at my word. Do you want to commune with this omnipotent God who rules heaven and earth? Then it must be through an humble and contrite spirit one who has respect for his word and trembles at the word of God. Now, if you will not commune with him on that basis, you never will be able to understand anything about the God who rules over heaven and earth. Now, for the benefit of the application of this truth, I want to go to Acts chapter 17 and verse 27 to show us just how near God is. This God who is infinite and he rules over all the planets and the stars and the miles that cannot be measured by, t by time and, and place, this God is as near as our own heart, the Bible says. Man will never commune with the God of glory apart from knowing him as a God of grace. Now let's go back to our text on Mars Hill, Acts chapter 17 that they should seek the Lord 
if perhaps they might feel after him and find him, though he's not far from every one of us. Now you ask the question, Pastor Gables, where is God? Where is he? You said that he's way off up there in the heavens. And yet, at the same time, the Bible says he's not very far from any of us. Well, how do you explain that? How is that to be understood? All right, now let's go to the book of Romans, chapter 10. The book of Romans, chapter 10, and verse 6. How can this God be way off in the heavens, and yet at the same time he's not far from any of us? Listen in Romans, chapter 10, and beginning in verse 6. But the righteousness which is of faith speaketh on this wise. Say not in thine heart, Who shall ascend into heaven? that is, to bring Christ down from above, or who shall descend into the deep, that is, to bring Christ again from the dead. But what saith it? What saith the Scriptures? The word is near thee, even in thy mouth and in thy heart. That is the word of faith which we preach. That if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus, and shalt believe in thine heart, that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. For with the heart man believeth unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. Now notice what the, the apostle is saying. Who is going to say that I shall ascend into heaven there and find Christ? He says, no, he's closer than that. What saith the scriptures? The word is near you, even in thy mouth, even in thine heart. You see, beloved, in order to commune with the throne of glory in heaven, we must do so through a throne of grace set up in our heart that produces an humbleness, a brokenness, and a contrite spirit. And God says, it's to that person whom I will look. And the person who has been broken in spirit, to where they recognize that they are finite and God is the infinite ruler over all, that person has access to communion with the God who rules on the throne of glory. Now, there's how we find him. And I want to emphasize this in 2 Corinthians chapter 4 for our final text this morning. We give invitations to those who would find God. But you ought to ask yourself a question. Pastor Gables, where can I find him? If you say, come to Christ, well, where is Christ? And how can I come to God? If God is way out in the heavens somewhere, how can I come to him? I can't reach him. I can't get on an airplane and go there. And I can't because of the time distance also. But now listen, the beauty of the gospel is this is that God communes with those not in a far-off way, but even within the confines and the desires of the heart. That broken and contrite spirit enables that individual to commune with the glorious God who rules on the throne over all of the universe. In Second Corinthians chapter 4 and verse 4, if our gospel be hid, it is hid to them that are lost, in whom the God of this world hath blinded the minds of them which believe not, lest the light of the glorious gospel of Christ, now listen, who is the image of God, should shine 
unto them. For we preach not ourselves, but Christ Jesus the Lord, and ourselves your servants for Jesus' sake. For God, who commanded the light to shine out of darkness, hath shined in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God, how? In the face of Jesus Christ. Do you want to know something about the glory of God upon his throne? Do you want to know something about this infinite sovereign ruler and what he's doing upon his throne? Then how are you going to get there? How are you going to understand this? How are you going to be able to bridge the gap to commune with this mysterious God who is a spirit? And Paul says, here's the way. That in the gospel of Jesus Christ, when you see that clearly, as you see a person's face, as you see yourself in a mirror and you see all the characteristics of your face, you understand what you are and who you are and what you look like. And when a person is given a light of understanding through the gospel as to what the gospel is and what Jesus Christ has done on the sinner's behalf, then that reveals the very glory of God because Christ is the image of God. And that it is through believing in Christ in the gospel through a work of grace shining in the heart that produces that humble, broken, and contrite spirit that we are enabled to view the glorious God upon his throne that the Apostle Paul spoke about to those individuals at Mars Hill. So that's why I invite you now as my hearers. If you're here without an understanding of the gospel and yet you'd like to have forgiveness of sins, then you must come to God and bow before him in the gospel and be made a partaker of the grace of God in Christ Jesus. Now you say, well again, Pastor Gables, where is he? Is he up here? Is he back here in this room? Is he over here? Is he over at your parsonage? How do I get to this God? By repenting and embracing Christ in the gospel and that is as near as faith within thine heart, that opens up access unto the throne of glory where you shall commune with him and hear the pronouncement, Thy sins be forgiven thee. So that's why when we invite you to the gospel, we're inviting you not to a time we're not saying, now then, it is five minutes to twelve, it's time for you to be saved. We're not saying, now then, it's time for you to walk down here to the front of the church and take my hand and be saved. We're inviting you now to deal with the God who's on the throne. And how do you get in touch with this God? It's even nigh thee. Within thine heart, within thine affections, do you have any desire at all to obtain forgiveness of sin this morning? You can do so by applying to Jesus Christ for forgiveness in the gospel. And that opens up the door from that throne to another throne for the glory of God. And all of his majesty is revealed unto us. Let's stand together, shall we?